This is Bruce McDuffie, author of The New Way to Market for Manufacturing, Innovation That Grows Your Business. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And marketingbookpodcast.com is also where you can send me a message with any comments, suggestions, or recommendations for the show. I love hearing from listeners like you from around the world. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. I respond to every single message I get from listeners, so please introduce yourself. And now a word from our sponsor, which is where I work. It's a business-to-business marketing agency called Artillery. The companies that call in Artillery are typically frustrated with traditional interruptive marketing's declining ability to generate good sales leads and are overwhelmed with how best to use digital and content marketing to break through to the modern informed buyer. So if your company is struggling with transitioning to modern marketing, our all-hands workshop, buyer persona interviews, and content marketing plan may be just what you need to get unstuck and on the right track toward getting more qualified leads and more profitable sales. For more information, visit marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, on to today's interview. Today, we welcome Bruce McDuffie to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The New Way to Market for Manufacturing, Innovation That Grows Your Business. Bruce McDuffie has been in manufacturing, marketing, and sales for over 20 years. He has been a field salesperson, a global marketing director, and is now an independent consultant focusing on helping manufacturing organizations get their growth on with modern marketing. And he is an engineer by training. He has an undergraduate degree in civil engineering and an MBA. And interesting fact, Bruce once served as a U.S. Navy officer. Bruce, congratulations on the new way to market for manufacturing and welcome aboard the Marketing Book Podcast. Permission to come aboard. <laughs> yes, yes. So you're the very first U.S. Navy veteran to be on the Marketing Book Podcast. But before I give you grief about being in the Navy, what I want to do is mention that this episode will publish on Manufacturing Day, which in the U.S. is October 6th. And for more details on that, you can go to mfgday.com. And a word to the listener who might be thinking, oh, I don't work in manufacturing. This isn't going to apply to me. I beg to differ. (laughs) While the topic of the book is about marketing for manufacturers, this book is a terrific marketing book, and it goes way beyond manufacturing. If you're in any kind of B2B or services manufacturing, the problems and solutions that Bruce talks about in this book will apply. So hang on. And you'll see. Now, Bruce, I, I should say that you served in the Navy and you were stationed in Hawaii. So Pearl I know Harbor. that I know That's that right. no, at Pearl Harbor, and I know that you know people just hated having to live there. So, do you get a lot of grief about having served in Hawaii? 
coming from cold New Hampshire? <laughs> Not really, Douglas. It, people may think that, but they don't say it. And oh. I think they have a, uh, you know, people understand when you're deployed on a ship, it's, you don't spend much time at home. That's so right. I, I think they get that. But yeah, it was a beautiful place to live. We lived there for three years. My first two sons were born there in Hawaii and uh, saw a lot of things and it was kind of hot for a New Hampshire kid like me, but oh, it was great. Okay. Well, I've never been to Hawaii, but uh, one of these days I'll get out I there. I should go. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. So let me start with just one excerpt from the book, and then we're going to get into it. Those manufacturing companies that ignore the new reality of how their customers and prospective customers go through the buying process without the aid of a salesperson until the very end of the process will lose market share to those who are willing and able to embrace the new way strategy. This is not your grandfather's or even your father's marketplace where customer development relied on personal relationships from the very start of engagement. The old school sales model of feet on the street is no longer effective for growing a manufacturing business. So Bruce, you talk about how this book was born out of frustration and opportunity. Tell us why you wrote it. Yes, thanks, Douglas. I wrote this book because I wanted to convey to manufacturers, and we're talking mostly B2B, you know, small, mid-size, and some large manufacturers. I want to convey that there's a huge opportunity available today. The window of opportunity is open, and it is slowly closing, but it's still slow. And the opportunity is that most manufacturers out there are still marketing like it's the 1990s. And that means that they use a direct sales team, they're pitching their product, and they're talking about features and benefits. And frankly, Douglas, they sound like every other manufacturer in whatever space it is. So the opportunity is a savvy manufacturer can say, hey, I understand my product sounds like a commodity. It, maybe it isn't. It probably isn't. But to your audience, it does. But they have a problem. They have this big common problem that I can solve. So instead of pitching my product, I'm going to share my expertise. I'm going to share my education and knowledge that I have that's inherent in my company. I'm going to help them to be better. I'm going to help that person who's going to make the decision or influence the decision. I'm going to help make that person's life better, that person's life a little easier. And when you do that, you get three things. When you share your knowledge and you share your expertise and you help somebody in your target audience, to be a little bit better or their life a little easier, you get three things. Number one, you get Toma. Toma is top of mind awareness. They remember you because you helped them solve that problem. Number two, you get credibility. You get credibility that they think this company or this person really knows what they're talking about. They are experts because they helped me with this problem or they helped me to be better or they helped me with this aspiration. Number three, they get reciprocity because you've given, you've shared your knowledge and expertise, you've given them a gift. And when the day does come around and they're ready to make that purchase, they're going to call you first. You're going to get the first shot at it. You could probably even sell them your product for a little bit higher price. That's the huge opportunity, and that's what I want manufacturers to get. Now, Bruce, in the book, you say that 
You know, your experience is that manufacturing is typically near the end of the line and adopting marketing technology and new marketing strategy and tactics and ideas and pretty much anything to do with marketing. In fact, you say that a lot of manufacturing companies still operate their sales and marketing departments as if the internet did not exist. Why, why is marketing undervalued and underutilized in so much of the manufacturing sector? Not only is it undervalued and underutilized, it's unappreciated. And I dare say that manufacturers, they don't like marketing. I've talked to some manufacturers, start to talk about marketing strategy and positioning and value propositions and all that academic stuff. I get rolled eyes, Douglas. <laughs> why, why do they not like marketing, even if a member of their tribe, a civil engineer like yourself, is explaining it to them? The, I think the main reason is that manufacturers have not had to use marketing. Now, when you ask a manufacturer, how do you define marketing? They'll usually say, well, those are the folks who set up our trade shows, create our brochures, maybe tweak our website. That's what they think marketing is. And when you start to talk about you know, strategy and again, terms like value proposition and target audience and pain points, they don't get it because they haven't, haven't had to. It's Think about manufacturing and the Industrial Revolution and all the way up until about the 1990s, you just had to have a good product. So so somebody invented a product or decided to make a product and they sold it based on their personal relationships within their community. And maybe they hired a couple of salespeople to go out and do the same thing they were doing. That was before people could look things up on the Internet. I remember, Douglas, I was a bag toting salesman for years. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I was taught by, I took a sales class. It was called Sandler Sales. I think oh, they're yeah. still around. I took still, that too. Yeah, so you know around. what it's about. Yeah. And, and they taught it us. It a Sandler submarine, in fact. <laughs> yeah, the filling the, flooding the compartments. Yeah. <laughs> and we were taught then, right, that we were taught, you're the salesperson, you have the information. Use that information to get your prospect to do something. So the prospect had to come to the salesperson to learn the information. They don't have to do that anymore. Now the information is readily available on the website. That's the huge difference. So what is it then that prompts a manufacturer to look at things? Is it serious trauma to their business? What, what, <laughs> for those that have adopted it, and I get the impression it's still a minority of manufacturers and not just manufacturers, to be honest. What is it that, that prompts them to realize that by sharing content and being helpful, getting found online is the way to go? What gets them over that status quo? Usually it's the lead flow, sales pipeline. I've got a, a client that I started with a few years ago and they manufacture a measurement, an electronic measurement instrument. And when I first started talking to him, he said, my lead flow has dried up. All the things that I've been doing to get leads doesn't work anymore. I need to get more leads. How can I do it? And then I can share the philosophy or the strategy about you got to get Toma credibility and reciprocity. And here's how you do it by sharing your expertise. That's usually the trigger point, Douglas, is they're just not getting leads and sales aren't growing like they want to and the business just isn't flourishing like it used to. Yep. No pain, no sale, right? Is that, that's exactly. what they say at Sandler. So when they're in pain, <laughs> they, they, they listen to Bruce. 
Got to find the pain. That's, That's right. It. That's right. So one of the things in your book that I just, you know, I, I loved it, but it was also, as I read it, I felt better because I thought I was taking crazy pills because so many companies are obsessed with their own products. Yeah. And you talk about how perhaps manufacturers are the king of the product culture. Explain more about that and, and why it's so prevalent with manufacturers. Sure. The product culture. And this is really, you can't help it. If you work for a manufacturing company making a product or any company making a product, you got to love the product, right? Because because of that product, you have a job. Because of that product, you can pay the bills and the product supports everything. So you want to love the product. But It's probably the, a good product too. I'm sure it's a great product. Yeah. And you've been selling it for years, sometimes a hundred years that product's been being sold. But the difference is now you've got to think about it from the audience perspective. With the internet, with globalization, your audience thinks your product now is a commodity. Especially if you say things like, we have the the best, highest accuracy, we have the best quality, we have the best uh, lifetime, we have all these these we have the best of, we're the best of. All the other competitors are saying it too. Mm-hmm. So that's so the, the difference is you can't rely on your product features and benefits anymore. And but that culture of the product almost it doesn't allow it. Because if you're a marketer, marketing director, you go to your CEO and say, Hey, we learned that we have to start growing the business, but we don't talk about the product. We have to talk about our expertise. The CEO is going to kick you out of his office. Unless you're ready to explain the the strategy behind it. Uh That culture product is huge and it's a huge hurdle for people to adopt, manufacturers to adopt this new way to market. So talk about some of the ways that you can get over that hurdle in terms of using language the, the management understands. Yeah, that's very important. And couple of ways to do it. One, an easy one is if a marketing director and you want to promote this new way to market, which means sharing expertise and sharing knowledge and not pitching the product, at least to get awareness, ask the CEO or the CFO or someone on the leadership team, say, how do you make a considered purchase? You went out and bought, maybe you know the CEO is a big road biker. Say, okay, CEO, when you went out and bought your last road bike for $5,000, How did you approach that? And he or she will say, well, first thing I did is I went on the internet. I Googled it and I looked for whatever the term is, a lightweight, titanium, whatever the bike is. Say, there you go. Why aren't we approaching our audience with that type of information? If they're out there searching, just like you are, why don't we approach it that way? And that usually turns on a light bulb. A more direct way to do it is to do a a comparison if you promote your idea, say, I'm going to prove it to you, CEO or whoever it is, and I'm going to do a test. We're going to promote our product. We're going to take an ad out in front of our target audience. We're going to promote our product, features and benefits like we usually do. And then we're going to, at the same time, we're going to promote a piece of our content, a piece of our knowledge. Maybe it's an ebook or something you have that's available that shares knowledge and solves a problem. Put them in the same venues. Same spot on the, whatever it is, the digital ad or the newsletter, compare them. And this, it'll blow, it blows everyone away. Douglas, I did this with a company when I was a marketing director. 
And I was trying to pitch this, you know, I was trying to pitch the idea and I said, let's test it. So we new product launch, put it out in a, in a publication called Global Spec. You've probably heard of them. Got in front of 500,000 people. That was the exposure. The product ad got about 75 clicks. Not much, but that was typical for a product promotion. The, the knowledge-based ad, which was a, this was also a company that did measurement instruments for humidity. Mm-hmm. And the knowledge ad was theory and theory terms and tips for humidity measurement. Got 1,600 clicks. Huge. And that'll happen every time. Anytime does a, someone does a comparison like that, boom, you've got it. Webinars the same way. Can I tell one other story? Do we oh, have time? Please. Yeah, absolutely. And then I want to ask you to talk about 97 and 3. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. This other company I work with, they make digital meters, you know, meters that take readouts from level gauges in these huge 100,000 gallon tanks. And they were having, they were doing webinars already before I started working with them and they would do a product webinar. And I said, how are your webinars doing? They said, oh, pretty good. How many people do you get? We usually get about 10 people to show up at a webinar. I said, oh, okay. I said, would you like to have more? They said, sure, we'd love to have more. So I told them about sharing knowledge and engagement. And they said, okay, let's give that a try. What should we talk about? And I said, check with your technical support desk, see what kind of questions they get. They came back and said, well, we get a lot of questions about four to 20 milliamp uh, current loops, which is a type of power and, and signal that's used on these meters. And they said, but everybody knows about that. That's just simple. It's a couple of screws and a couple of wires. I said, they don't know about it. And they're asking about it because they're calling you up about it. Let's do a webinar uh, about the basics of four to 20 milliamp current loops. They said, all right, we'll try it. We put the invitation out there, one invitation to their database that was about 25,000 people. And we got 1,400 people to sign up for that webinar. Wow. We got about 800 people to show up for the live broadcast Mm -hmm. because it was knowledge-based. So 10 for the product webinar. 1400 for the knowledge webinar. Yeah. And you're Enough using said. <laughs> you're using numbers too. They understand numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Now talk about 97 versus 3 because I've I've heard you make that argument. I think you have that in the book as well. Mm-hmm. The theory is that when you put out an ad, let's say, or any type of posting about your product, only 3% of the people in your target audience population are going to be ready to make a purchase at the time they see that ad. Only 3%, maybe even less. Or, or it could also be website visitors. Yeah, could be website visitors too. It's a very small proportion. But the other part, 97%, maybe it's not as big as the, the complete rest of the audience, but a huge portion of that audience is going to have that problem that nags at them every single day. That's why you can get so much better engagement because they're dealing with the problem every day. It's a huge portion. It's there all the time. There's your opportunity. I used to tell, tell when I was speaking in front of groups, Douglas, I would say, imagine you could be in front of 10,000 people at your local stadium. Here it's the Pepsi Center in Denver. You got five minutes in front of these 10,000 people. And these are 10,000 people who could buy your product one day. They're your audience. What would you say to them? Most people say, well, I talk about the history of our company and our product, why it's so great and why I'm so great, why our CEO is so great. I said, no, 
You're going to only engage with a small 3% or less in that audience. They might think that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) If they need to make quota today, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But if you get up there and share a problem that 90% of that audience faces and you help them solve that problem, think about the difference in engagement. Yeah. Did I wander off from your question too much on that? No, nope. it also belies the notion that so many people think they still have captive audiences. Oh. <laughs> There's no such thing as a captive audience. You're fighting for attention. You got to work for it. One thing that I, I thought was very interesting in your book is the use of the word innovation. <laughs> you said, as I understood it, almost every manufacturer, that's their favorite adjective. To, to describe yep. themselves, they think of themselves innovatively. So have you been able to use that word as a weapon to get them to try a new approach to marketing? (laughs) Well, I have to be gentle about it, of course, (laughs) but I have used it. It's because you ask any manufacturing CEO, are you innovative or do you prize innovation as a part of your culture? They'll always say yes. And they have to. That's what we're all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have to because that's they're developing products, right? And I say, well, why don't you apply that innovation to your go-to-market strategy. Apply that creativity, that innovation to go to market. Here's a way you can do it. That's how I would use it. Yeah, yeah sometimes it works. And as I, I think we talked about when we met at uh, Content Marketing World, uh, David Merriman Scott in his book, New Rules of Marketing and PR, he, he can't stand you know gobbledygook. He has a book called Gobbledygook. The, Gobbled- oh, the Gobbledygook Manifesto, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, but he, you know, jargon monoxide, as Kathy Klotzgast calls it. But he did a, an analysis, I think with PR Newswire or somebody like that, some company like that, and they analyzed a staggering number Saw that. of yeah. the news releases and buzzwords and the number one piece of jargon and buzzword that is used in all these news releases is innovative. <laughs> So, there you go. Yeah. So you sound like everyone else. That's right. A sea of sameness, right? Let's prove it, folks. Yeah. Now, another approach that you talked about, again, this is this work may work for manufacturers, but it works for every other company I've dealt with. Talk about the importance of saying something is a pilot program. Yeah. That goes along with the idea of innovation. And it also goes along with the idea of risk. Because if you go to your CEO and say, we're going to change the way we market, we're going to change the way we go to market, and the way we're going to change it is we're going to stop pitching the product at the top of the funnel or for people to get to know us, he's going to kick you out of his office again. But if you say, got a new idea, I think it's got some merit, I want to test it. Can I get a little money or, or a little time to test this idea? I want to do a pilot program. Pilot programs are low risk. And yeah, it might cost a little bit of money, but it's not like trying to revamp the whole culture, which is what you're doing on the other side. So pilot programs are low risk. They show numbers, or you should pick a tactic that shows numbers so you can prove your concept. That's the power of a pilot program. And again, you throw out the innovation. Say, hey, CEO, you say we're innovative, got an idea to to be innovative, just want to test it and prove the concept. Mm-hmm. And just to add to that, you talk about the importance of talking about revenue versus costs. Because usually the CEO is going to say, well, what's it going to cost? Mm-hmm. Explain that difference that may seem subtle to a marketer, but why it's so important for the management. Yeah, this goes to your KPIs, your key performance indicators. And marketers, we love KPIs. We love to talk about our email open rates and click-through rates. We love to talk about our likes and our follows and and, and 
We even like to talk about cost per lead, cost per thousand impressions. That's kind of our, our marketing jargon. But when you're talking to the C-suite, if you talk about that stuff, you're killing yourself, especially if you say cost per this, cost per that, because when the day comes around, CEOs maybe got to make some cuts. He's going to think, oh yeah, those marketing guys, they're always talking about cost. So That's we'll cut that cost. cost. Yeah. yeah. So what you got to make sure you do to get the attention of the C-suite is talk their language. What does the C-suite want to talk about? They want to talk about revenue. They want to talk about sales pipeline. They want to talk about opportunities and opportunities closed. Give them that. Talk about how your marketing strategy is going to increase revenue or how about net contribution to revenue or about revenue per activity or talk about revenue per lead instead of cost per lead. It's a subtle difference, but it makes a huge difference about the perception leadership has about marketing and the marketing team. And you talked about you're not overtly trying to change the culture, but but you are actually. And I want to quote one other excerpt from the book is you say the new way is not a six-month campaign. It is a cultural pivot away from product focus and self-centric marketing to freely sharing expertise with everyone in the target audience without pitching the product. <laughs> now, <laughs> Amen. So as it relates to creating that content, I would like you to explain the sweet spot of engagement because I think one of the next questions from management or the sales, what is this content? What, what are you talking about? Are you talking about creating more content about our products? Explain the sweet spot of engagement. Yeah, sweet spot of engagement. This is the picture of Venn diagram. You've got one circle on the left. You've got one circle on the right. And then those two circles intersect. Circle on the left is your audience. It talks about their pain points or maybe even their aspirations. And when you're thinking about this, you got to think about it in the context of your expertise. And that's the circle on the right is your particular, ideally unique, but it doesn't have to be unique expertise. And the intersection of those two things, the pain point and your expertise, that's the sweet spot topic. And when you can talk about that topic, that's where you can really get engagement. You have to be careful when you choose a topic to talk about, because sometimes what happens is marketing or a product or somebody does some research and they find out that there's this pain point in the audience, but they don't have the expertise. Mm -hmm. You can't fake the expertise. It's got to be authentic. And, and when you, yeah, when you find that topic, that sweet spot topic, you can make a lot of headway. So perhaps you can give an example. You talked about you know, the humidity, the, the measurement company you're with, or there was another yep. one that I believe about the company that produces charts for aviators. I think one was pain and one was pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, you want me to talk about yeah. both of them? Yeah, sure. Okay. Practical well, the, advice. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't give enough practical examples. The audience loves it. And this is, these are true stories too. I won't share the company names. But Actually, everything we, Bruce is saying is true. So let's just be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Thanks, Douglas. So let's talk about the humidity instrument one first. So this was a company, I was a global marketing director for one of the divisions. And well, I started off as the Americas director. That's where this story takes place. So the company, like all manufacturing companies, loved to pitch the product. When there was a new product that came out, they put it out there and all the, in those days, print ads mostly talk about the features, the benefits. Um, and it was very, very boring and didn't get much engagement. So 
I think this was tied in with um, with webinars. So I came to the product manager one day and I said, hey, there's these webinars, you know, it sounds interesting. Let's try a webinar. Can you give me budget for it? And the product manager said, no, we tried webinars. Don't work. I, said, <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing things like that. <laughs> I said, why didn't it work? Well, we, we did it for our new product and only five people showed up. I said, all right. I said, well, how about if we look at it a different way? We, we're talking about the humidity instruments, the, the specifications, the accuracy. What if we, the big pain point out there is people have a hard time measuring humidity. So that's the left circle for this case. Mm-hmm. Humidity is a very difficult measurement to make. It's, you can't make repeatable, reliable measurements unless you really understand it. So I said to the product manager, how about we educate the audience? We've got experts. We've got the best experts in the world on humidity measurement technology and the science of moist gas, which is another way to say humidity. So why don't we educate them? Here's what humidity is. Here's what can make a good measurement. And he said, ah, it sounds kind of dumb. They must already know that. I said, well, how about we give it a try? I said, okay. And that's where we, we did that webinar, basics about relative humidity, and we got a huge response. I think we got 800 people for that webinar right off the bat. Wow. So- so again, five people showed up for the new product launch webinar, 800 for the educational webinar. And that sweet spot topic was, okay, so the pain point is humidity is a hard measurement. Expertise is we know everything about measuring humidity, that science and the technology. And that's what the products did. Yeah, that's what the products did. And the intersection was we're going to educate people with our experts about the actual science of humidity. And it was, it went, that company is still using that concept. Not as well as when I was there, Douglas, but they're still trying well, you, to use it. You know, it. Bruce, you do what you can. Uh, <laughs> but talk about the aviation one, too. Yeah, this one's actually a little more fun. This is a company I worked for that printed aviation charts. So pilots go up in their small airplanes or even the big airplanes. They got to have a chart so they know how to get from one place to another and the safety and you know, where to land and all this stuff. So, and they actually printed these charts. And one of the segments was the general aviation segment, which is the folks who go out on the weekend, get in their Cessna and fly around for fun. They needed to have a chart too. But this company had a hard time engaging with that group because they were perceived as for the big airlines and and bigger business aviation and stuff. So they said, we really want to get in front of this group, general aviation. I said, okay, let's talk about it. What have you done in the past? He said, well, we've done print ads and some social media. I said, all right, let's move on from that. He said, tell me about the audience. They said, oh, these people in the audience, they love to fly. They love to talk about flying. They love to talk about how they're the best pilot there is. They're just so passionate. I said, okay, they're passionate about flying. That's the left circle. Flying is their passion. How can we help them enjoy that passion more, was the question, with our expertise. They said, well, let's see. We know everything about reading a chart. I said, all right, can you help them to enjoy their flying more by helping them to be better at interpreting charts? I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, um, what is it called, visual flight, VFR charts, Douglas? They usually don't allow me in the cockpits of the (laughs) planes I fly in. but These charts, they have... Little tiny details, like a circle with 
with uh, lines out of oh, out okay, yeah. side yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. I've seen those at a you know at this little airstrip, and it can mean the difference between lights being available for a night landing or no lights being available. It's tiny, tiny details. So they said, yeah, we know everything there is to know about VFR charts. I said, all right, let's do a webinar about how to read a chart. And they said, well, obviously they know how to read a chart because they've got their pilot's license. I said, yeah, but this will make them better. And these charts are really detailed. Let's try it. So we put together a webinar series about how to use these charts from from even started from taxiing out to the runway, to the takeoff and getting up to elevation, to the actual in-flight portion, and then to the landing portion. Did a series of five webinars. They didn't think they were going to work. And they had done webinars in the past about the chart, but it was it was only about the chart, not how you can be better at reading the chart, which is a subtle difference, mm-hmm. but a big difference. That webinar, that first one, I think got... 2,200 registrants. These numbers. It's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Even the CEO of this company heard about it. And he was saying, wow, how did you ever do that? So it got attention to the marketing team too, as being knowing what they're doing. So you've got passion on the left circle. They just love being pilot. They want to be a better pilot. They want to enjoy their time in that airplane as much as possible. Expertise in reading these charts. So the intersection was if we can help them to be more efficient at reading the chart, be better, get it, everything they need with quicker glances and so on, they'll enjoy that flight more. So that's what's the intersection, teaching them how to be better at reading the charts. So I want to ask you one last question uh, specific to the book. And it's like almost all of these books I read, I find something and I say, you know what? I'm stealing that. <laughs> I'm taking that idea. <laughs> so it's there. <laughs> that is the AFMS. Explain what the AFMS, I I just, I loved it. And I don't know why, you know, we hadn't used it before, but it seems like it's so great for getting internal buy-in. Yeah, AFMS stands for Audience Facing Mission Statement. And the reason I wrote, I said Audience Facing Mission Statement is because most corporations have a mission statement, but it's all about themselves. We're going to be the leading company, blah, blah, blah. And they're boring and terrible. And they usually have the word innovative in them. <laughs> innovative, leader, leaders, all Best that. in class, <laughs> cutting edge. You could write one right there. Right. So that's why I said audience facing, because when you your mission is about the audience. So for the humidity example, the audience facing mission statement is we're going to help people in our target audience to make a better, more reliable and repeatable measurement of humidity. That's our mission statement. And this guides your content. It guides your strategy. It guides a lot of things about your marketing execution. That's why it's so important to make sure it's audience facing. And that's a big, a big point I want to make. And I hope I made in the book, Douglas, is that you have to start thinking about the audience. Most manufacturing companies, as we talked about before, because of the culture of the product, they can't help think about their product. And when they put their messaging together and their positioning and their value proposition, it's just a description of the product. And this is the tough love here, folks. Your audience, the people you're selling your stuff to, they don't care about your product. I'll say it again. They don't care. They don't care about your product. They don't care about your CEO. They don't care about your company. They don't care about you. What they care about is what it means to them. That's the shift. That's the audience focus. It's with them. 
People always ask themselves that question, no matter what they're going to buy. Candy bar, a new car, a big, huge machine. They ask with them. They're asking themselves, what's in it for me? That's the question you got to answer. I've heard people say, all your customers listen to the same radio station, (laughs) WIFM. What's in it for me? I'm going to steal that from you. (laughs) So please. So the thing that's, it works on several levels, the audience-facing mission statement, but the word audience is there to remind people that they have an audience. They're trying to build an audience. Jeff Roars wrote a fantastic book called Audience, which you know I think helps to rewire a lot of marketers' brains to understand that you're trying to build an audience. They will then buy from you, but you we need to you need to be working on growing that audience first, right? And then they'll buy from you. So, Bruce, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would like a reader to have their mindset become that they're going to embrace this go-to-market strategy of audience-focused, knowledge-sharing marketing. And just embrace that, that you don't have to pitch your product all the time. I know you got to pitch the product at the bottom of the funnel. You got to be able to say why your product's different. You got to pitch the heck out of that product. But it's at the bottom of the funnel, late in the buying stage. Mm-hmm. Show that you care about your customer before you'll expect them to care about your products. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and another thing for the audience, if you can embrace that idea, sharing knowledge, expertise to get TOMA, credibility, and reciprocity, you'll get more leads than you know what to do with. I guarantee it. And you'll get more awareness like you can't even fathom. Because this is how it works these days. Yep. You're, 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 you're shouting from the rooftops here, and, and <laughs> as, as are a lot of the people probably listening to this right now, but stay with it. So, Bruce, what books have inspired your work and career? There's two books that come to mind, uh, top of mind, if you will. <laughs> I read Joe Polizzi's book. He wrote one a few years ago called Epic Content Marketing. Mm-hmm. It's really inspired me, but this is where the idea about sharing knowledge and expertise really solidified. And another one that was, I think, is really good, again, it goes to this audience focus idea, is by um, Al Rees and Jack Trout. It's called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind. Those two books, excellent books, that did inspire me. Yes, the positioning is, oh, it's probably- Have you read that one? Oh, yeah, back when I was getting my MBA. (laughs) Right after the Civil War. And <laughs> that is a marketing classic. And yeah, it, is. it really is. The, they've written several other books together and individually, but also Epic Content Marketing. That was one of the first books where I interviewed Joe Polizzi on the podcast. I was so excited to be able to awesome. interview him about that. That's a terrific one. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, one is... This is written, again, by Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. A lot of the audience probably knows those guys from Content Marketing Institute. Actually, Douglas, I think you just interviewed them about their new book, Killing Marketing. I did. What a book. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. It's very provocative, isn't it? It really is. It's one of those books. You know, I think deep down inside, every marketer or business person is holding their breath, sort of like, okay, when is marketing going to settle down? (laughs) <laughs> and be easy like it used to be. <laughs> Don't read this book if that's what you're thinking. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Excellent recommendation. Yeah. That one and one other I like. I'm a big Stephen King fan. 
And uh, Stephen King has a new one coming out, I think, this month called Sleeping Beauties. And uh, he co-wrote it with his son. So I'm looking forward to relaxing and reading that one. Oh, terrific. Okay. Well, Bruce, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, I offer a digital copy of my book, a PDF copy of the book on my website. And I offer it for free. All you got to do is fill out a little short form. If you go to www.mmmatters.com slash ebook. You can get a copy of it right there, or you can buy a hard copy on Amazon. Just search for a new way to market for manufacturing. Of course, happy to sell hard copies on Amazon. Learn more about my service. I'm a marketing consultant focusing on manufacturing, mostly B2B manufacturing, offering services like website redesign, marketing automation is one of my specialties, content marketing, also a specialty, and general digital marketing strategy, of course. Well, Bruce, I, just so you know, I purchased a copy of your book. Now, if I'd known that I could have gotten a free one, <laughs> that would have been something different. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, don't spend all that money in one place, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for purchasing the book. Well, I appreciate my it. pleasure. It really is an excellent book. I just loved the way you explained things. For me, it was a little bit of a religious experience because I found myself saying, amen, amen, <laughs> because I'm... You know, like a Thanks lot of my myself day. and a lot of other people that are listening to this podcast, we're, we're teachers. We're having to explain things. And I really admire the way you were able to explain our world to people that are less familiar with it and might even be resistant to it. I should also mention that Bruce has two podcasts, Manufacturing Marketing Matters, where he interviews lots of manufacturing folks, uh, people in that world. And there's another one that's the Manufacturing Marketing Course, which is 13 episodes, a great primer. So what I want you to do this weekend is read the book and then listen to this podcast or listen to his course. Those 13, absolutely terrific. So let me just close with one quote here. Trade shows, postcards, print ads, field sales teams, and even distributors will not be able to compete without leveraging the new normal, where prospective customers self-educate, research, and build relationships with firms before they ever send an email or pick up the phone. It's happening, baby. The train <laughs> is leaving the station. The window is closing. Engaging with the people in your target audience takes more, much more than telling them about your products and your company. If you do not understand the audience's pain and problems beyond the relationship to your product features, you will lose. Those manufacturing companies that engage with their audience by helping them to be better by sharing expertise will destroy the firms that continue to rely on old-style sales and marketing tactics alone. The name of the book is The New Way to Market for Manufacturing Innovation That Grows Your Business. The author is Bruce McDuffie. Bruce, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Douglas. I really appreciate it. And that closes the book on episode 143 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback on the show or if I can make a book recommendation, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. 
And please join us next time as we welcome Dory Clark back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about her new book, Entrepreneurial You. Monetize your expertise, create multiple income streams, and thrive. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Did not exist. So what? Wait a minute, Douglas. Here, the train's coming by here. Sorry. It's going to blow its whistle. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I assume you can edit that they, they out. They know that we're doing a podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.